0: But hear now the word of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I've been referring often in our series in Ephesians, especially as it pertains to these verses, about the idea of gifts and gift-giving and how we respond when we receive gifts. You know, when you do watch a child open up a present at a birthday, there's typically two questions that the child gets asked as they're opening their present. The first question is, well, what did you get? What did you get? And then if you're the parent, the next question that you ask is, what do you say, (laughs) right? What did you get? But then quickly, what do you say? Because there's this idea that when you receive something, a, a gift from someone, There should be a response of gratitude and praise. And and the passage that I just read for us in Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14 is this passage where the Apostle Paul is coming and he's making a proclamation to us. And the proclamation that he's making to us in these verses is that our God is to be praised because of the spiritual blessings that he has given to us, you and I, are recipients of these things that Paul calls spiritual blessings. And because we have received these things, it should overwhelm your heart and mind with praise. And so as we're reading through this, we've been looking the last few weeks at those things which we have received from the Lord, for which we give praise to Him. And Paul has been going through in a very unique way and showing us as Christians... What the different members of the Godhead, of the Trinity, how they have been involved in the spiritual blessings that we receive. And so we looked at, at first, how the Father, the scriptures come and tell us, has chosen you to be a part of God's family. That you who were far off have been adopted and brought into the family of God by His work that you are no longer orphans, but you are now sons and daughters, as even we were singing this morning and and hearing right in the scriptures. Sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What a blessing that is, and we're going to talk about that even more today. And then he goes on to say, not only have you been brought into God's family, but make no mistake, God the Son has set you free from sin's power and its penalty. He says there in those verses that we have been redeemed, through Jesus Christ, those who were slaves have been purchased out of slavery. And, and how do we come into God's family? We had, to be, we had to be redeemed from the power of sin over us. But we also have our sins forgiven, our trespasses. The, the, the penalty that you and I owe, it had to be canceled. And God the Son steps in and he does that work for us. And then, what we see here in our passage today, we're going to look at verses 13 and 14. As Paul comes in and says, there's, there's one more member of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, who comes in and who does a work for us. Look down at verse 13. Paul says, In him you also, and again, that is in and through Jesus Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Here for the first time, Paul makes reference to the the Holy Spirit and the work that he does in you and I receiving a spiritual blessing that we're going to talk about in just a moment. But in this verse, in verse 13, I want to just first make us aware of just a couple of things in this passage and the first is is this did you notice how over the last two weeks we talked about how God the Father chooses us and then the Son ultimately redeems us but here Paul acknowledges that the way we come to believe in Jesus Christ for our salvation is through the proclamation of the gospel From heaven's vantage point, it's clear, God the Father chooses you, the Son does the work of redeeming you, but from from our vantage point, Paul comes in verse 13 and he says, when you heard the word of truth, and then he says, what's the word of truth? The gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Once again, we see that Paul is saying that two things can be true at the same time. God the Father does do the work of making us a part of his family. Christ the Son does come and do the work of redeeming us. But at the same time, Paul makes clear, we must hear and believe the message of the gospel. There is this element where there is this call for us to ultimately believe but belief only comes Paul makes clear here and elsewhere through hearing the message of the gospel and so until we get to heaven the mystery of how these two truths work in tandem that God the Father does all the work and ultimately we must respond to the gospel call that mystery won't fully be revealed until we get to heaven but I want to tell you church that until that day comes I hope that two things will always be true of me and two things will always be true of us Number one, that we will forever celebrate and give all the credit and all the glory and all the praise to God alone for our salvation. That until we get to heaven, he gets all the glory. We won't take one ounce of credit for our salvation. That it's all of him. And we're gonna see that again in chapter two. But then the second thing is that because faith comes from hearing the gospel, we will never stop proclaiming to a lost world the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May that be true of us till God calls us home. He gets all the praise and all the glory from our lips for the work of saving us, but that we are committed as a people to proclaiming the gospel because that is what God uses to draw people to himself. But now look back at the verse. At the very end of the verse, I want us to now see the second thing that we want to just be aware of, and that is Paul comes and says that there's a spiritual blessing that we're gonna look at today that comes to us from the promised Holy Spirit. You know, again, I'm going to give a shameless plug here. Over the next few weeks, during the next hour, Pastor Jason is going to be doing a class on the Trinity. You know, a lot of us have a good understanding of God the Father and God the Son, but, but the one person of the Trinity who often gets overlooked or isn't well understood is the person of the Holy Spirit. And here Paul is making clear that he is active in our salvation, in that we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Church, we would do well to understand the work of the Holy Spirit. I can't get into the the fullness of it today. I'm going to do my best to at least address what Paul does here, but I want you to think about this. Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 14. I'm going to have you turn there just because I want you to mark it, and please go back and read it later. I'm going to try and Fly through this as fast as I can in John chapter 14 Jesus says these words now this is Jesus talking and he's talking about ultimately the Holy Spirit he starts chapter 14 by saying let not your hearts be troubled now the reason why Jesus says let not your hearts be troubled is because he just told his disciples in the chapter right before this that he's going away from them and they're like you're going away from us In this time and in this place, we're going to lose your presence in our lives. Jesus says, I'm going away, and they're troubled. And then he says, but let not your hearts be troubled. And he tells them two reasons why. And the first reason why, don't have time to go into, is he says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you that that where I am, there you may be also. He says, you need me to go away because I'm going to be going back up to the Father. I'm going to be preparing your eternal home. And then one day you're going to come and you're going to be with me. But then as you go down in the text, you see that he says that there's a very good reason why he needs to go away from them. And the reason why he needs to go away from them is down in verse 16. He says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Jesus says, it's good that I'm going away from you. One, because I'm going to prepare your eternal home. But number two, because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit doesn't come. And Jesus is literally saying to his disciples, it is better for for you that I am no longer here with you in physical presence. Because if you just get me in my physical presence here with you, you won't get the Holy Spirit. Why would Jesus think that the Holy Spirit... Coming to his followers is vastly better than him staying there with them. It's because Jesus knows that the promised Holy Spirit, the one who is to come as a helper, is God coming and dwelling not in bodily form like Jesus there with them, but God coming and indwelling in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, his people. Rather than just having Jesus there in a physical form, Jesus says, the Spirit of God will reside in all of you. Tell me, what's better, a a Jesus who is in one place at one time or God, Spirit with you at all times and all places? And so the promised Holy Spirit at minimum church, Jesus says it is gonna be glorious for you that he will come because when he comes, he will reside in each one of you. He's not just gonna reside in the temple or the tabernacle as of old. He will be in and with you." In fact, look at John 16:7. He says, "Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you." Not David's words, but Jesus' words. So what is so wonderful about the Spirit? today's text is going to begin to show us just a glimpse of it, and it starts with this. Verse 13, let's look back at it now. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, now be here back in Ephesians, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The spiritual blessing that Paul says comes to us through the Holy Spirit is this, the Holy Spirit is the seal of your salvation. Now ultimately, what does that mean? Well, that's what we're gonna to begin to explore. For the Holy Spirit to be the seal of your salvation, to understand the significance of that statement for you and for me, we have to understand this concept of how seals, not the ones in the oceans, are art, are, right? But a different kind of seal was used in ancient times. If you were with us from the start of this series, I talked about how in Ephesus there's this huge temple at the time when Paul's writing this, the temple of Artemis. And that temple, one of its usages was not just for the worship of this God, but inside of the temple was also the location of a bank, a place where the wealthy could store their possessions. Now, how would you know when you stored your possessions in a place like that, which possessions belong to you and which possessions might've belonged to somebody else. What money in that chest was yours and what money in that chest was someone else's? The answer was in ancient times, you would have someone make a seal for you that then you would use to, to stamp either clay or wax or even metal, and that seal would be placed on your possessions so that people know when they looked at it, oh, that belongs to the Wajnikis. That belongs to the Smiths. Your seal was the mark of your ownership. And we see this all throughout the ancient world. In fact, y'all remember that good old wicked queen of the Old Testament, Jezebel, right? I want to show you something that they actually found. This right here is the seal of Jezebel from the 9th century B.C. So before Christ, they discovered as they were working and doing excavations, the actual seal that Jezebel used to stamp those items that belonged to her. So by the way, this is just one more proof of the evidence of the things that have happened, the events that happened in the Old Testament of being true. So that was about even 900 years before Paul was writing. People have been using seals in the ancient world to mark things as theirs, and this is just one example of it. So a seal was used to mark and secure an object as one's property. And so when Paul comes to us, what does he say? He says, you want to know who was chosen by the Father and redeemed by the Son? Well, God the Holy Spirit is given to those individuals as the seal, as the mark that resides not just simply in them, but on them of God's ownership. He gives his Holy Spirit to people to say this is my possession. And so if you're taking church or if you're taking notes church the spiritual blessing that comes to us is that God the Holy Spirit marks and preserves you as God's possession forever. God the Holy Spirit comes and he marks and preserves you as God's possession forever. That is what Paul comes and says, you receive from the Spirit. Anyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ, chosen by the Father, redeemed through the Son, also receives the Holy Spirit so that you are marked and preserved forever as a possession of God. When Paul wrote to the Romans, he would say this in Romans 8, 9, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. He would say in Romans eight sixteen, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. He'd write to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. To a different church, he almost writes the exact same thing, saying, don't you see that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, what you receive is the Holy Spirit given to you as a confirmation to you that you belong to God? This past week, my youngest daughter, actually all three of my daughters, they went to this one location, and, and it was a children's museum up in Temecula. And when Cece came home, she was really excited to show me something. She said, dad, look at my arm. And I looked at her arm and I'm like, that's your arm. And she said, no, no, watch this. And she took a, a black light pen and she shined it on her arm. And you could see that there was this mark that had been drawn on her arm with a special kind of a pen. And it was a mark that showed up when the black light was, was put over it, a UV light. I, I, I saw that and I thought, well, that's kind of cool. But then I also thought, for every single one of us, you might look at yourself in the mirror and you're just like, that's eh, just me. That's, that's who I am. But if you were to all of a sudden have the spiritual glasses to see, it's not just you in that mirror. Just like that light when it was reflected on her arm revealed something deeper. Church, there's something deeper to each and every one of us in and through our God. The Holy Spirit is upon you and in you and with you. Oh, that God would give us just the eyes to recognize this as true. Because when we recognize that this is true, there's so many things I could could say, but but one of the first things I want to say is this, like, church, what this means is God does not belong to us. We belong to God. (laughs) Can, can you, do, do, do you get the difference there? God's not my possession. We are his possession, and that's great news. That is great news because I'm not that strong. I can't hold on to things. I can go bankrupt. A lot of things can happen, but here's the first beautiful truth. If we are truly God's possession because of the Holy Spirit residing in us, listen to this, God provides for and takes care of his possessions. Can I get an amen to that? to know that you are marked with the holy spirit means that <laughs> you know that god's going to take care of you and that he's that he's there with you we we see this throughout the scriptures we we see jesus saying in john 10:27 my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me i give them eternal life jesus God the Father and the Spirit, they serve to take care of us. What becomes true of us is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? want because, because we belong to him. <laughs> the shepherd does not belong to the sheep. <laughs> the sheep belong to the shepherd. And I'm telling you, it is the sweetest thing to know God is your shepherd. To know that you belong to him because he cares for us. You know, it's sometimes ridiculous the examples that we find of, of how people care for the possessions that they have. I want to show you a little picture of Penelope the pig. <laughs> Don't awe this. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Penelope the pig. You can go to her Instagram handle. It's called uh, at pamperedpig. This is the most pampered pig in all of America. She's the possession of this couple. She has her own bedroom. She enjoys frappuccinos shared with her owner. She has a dresser full of clothes. She has her own bed. She has her own toys. This is a pig named Penelope. And literally her handle is pampered pig. Church we look at this and we can say it's cute, and we can also marvel that somebody would care for a pig so deeply. <laughs> Here's the thing though it it does not compare in any way, shape, or form. If Jesus would say it this way If you who are evil, talking about all of us, would give good gifts to your children, how much more your Heavenly Father? The way that God cares for his possessions is beyond actually what we can imagine. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you are his possession. And he cares for the things that belong to him. But not only does he care for the things that belong to him, listen, God cannot be robbed of his possessions. (laughs) If you are marked with the Holy Spirit, you can't be taken from him. You, the, the, This shepherd can't be robbed of his possessions. Jesus goes on to say in that passage in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Why? Because he's their shepherd. And number two, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, there's once again God the Father giving is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. Praise the Lord for that. Amen? If you are marked, if you are sealed, no one can ever take you from them. Just this past week, there was a mom in Texas. She was at home with her children, and a man broke into the house. I love this story. She, she, she Not because the guy broke into the house. I'll get to the good part. They breaks into the house. The mom knows she's there with her kids. I got to protect them. I gotta take care of him. So she goes into the bathroom, and she shuts the door because she's in Texas. Guess what she has? <laughs> you already feel it, right? I have a gun, and I've called the police. And the guy keeps going in, and she fires around through the door. And guess what? The guy leaves. And he end up getting shot in the arm. They found him about a hundred yards away. She protected her family. She cared for her children. They were secure. They were with her. How much more that the eternal God, who is greater than everything? They that has ever been made, He protects and cares for us. So when Paul comes and he says that you have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, he's saying that the the Holy Spirit has marked you as belonging to God. If you belong to God, He cares for you. You can never be taken from Him. This, I think, gets to the truth that you can't lose your salvation if you are in the Father. The scriptures do say that there are those who can appear to actually live in the love of the Father and can actually profess faith in Jesus Christ. But Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. Because ultimately, their faith truly wasn't in Christ. They were never chosen from the Father. They were never redeemed. They played the game. They looked the the part. But the truth was, they were never sealed. Because if you are, he never lets you go. This is a great blessing and a truth. But here's now we need to address a question. And here's where we start to land this plane, which means I have another 30 minutes. I'm kidding, no. <clears throat> here's where we need to address something. How do I know if I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit? Are any, are any of you just kind of wondering that right now? Like, this all sounds great and dandy and good. I want to, But how do we know that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit? Well, Paul actually addresses that in verse 14 because he says this is the Holy Spirit. We're not only sealed with the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Once again, everything that God is doing, we receive the blessing, but he does it to make much of himself, okay? Let's never lose sight of that. But how do we know if we're actually sealed with the Holy Spirit? Well, listen, that word where he says that the Holy Spirit is also a guarantee of our inheritance— That word's only used three times in the New Testament, and it's only used by Paul, but it was used in the ancient world to refer more specifically to the first deposit. So to have a guarantee, if you're taking notes, is to possess part of what you will one day have in full. And so when he says the Holy Spirit is given to us as a guarantee, what Paul is really saying here is this. The Holy Spirit is given to you as as the first deposit, you will, of, of the fuller blessing that you're one day going to receive. So right now, right here in this place, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you begin to experience through the Holy Spirit's presence in your life because you've been sealed by him, you begin to experience some of the inheritance that you and I will one day know in full. You see, the last part of that statement about the work of the Holy Spirit is this. God God the Holy Spirit, he also acts as the first deposit of your inheritance. Not only does he seal our salvation, but he acts as the first deposit of your inheritance. And what is that inheritance that we are gonna receive? Well, it can be summarized in one word, and that is our glorification. Jesus actually talked about it in John 14, which we saw earlier. Remember when Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's gonna come, but before he said that, he says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. That is the inheritance that we're gonna receive. The inheritance that we're gonna receive in full one day is uh, being in the presence of God the Father for all eternity, experiencing in fullness the fruit of the full, I should say the the fruit of the new life that's been purchased through Jesus Christ. I say it all the time. The penalty, the power, and the presence of sin one day will be completely done away with. And what it will be like to live in that state, well, John got a glimpse of it in Revelation 21. It's gonna be there on the screen, but you can also look at it in your Bibles. In John 21, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. This is the place where Jesus went to go and prepare a place for us, and I heard a loud voice, from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things what? New. And also he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true christian here today do you know that a day is coming when you will experience the fullness of your inheritance in jesus christ which is A life where the impact of sin on you is no more. And what that means is you will be able to live in perfect obedience to the Father. You will live as that new creation, meaning you'll be able to love. And there will be no more pain and there will be no more suffering. There will be no more corruption in your life. And so what Paul says here is, if you have the Holy Spirit, you should be able to see and experience evidence today in part of what you will one day know in full. And so to be sealed with the Holy Spirit Church ultimately means this, the Holy Spirit enables you to experience evidence of your future inheritance. Am I sealed with the Holy Spirit? Paul says, if you are, then you will be enabled to experience, even now, evidence of your future inheritance. And what is some of the evidence of that? I'm gonna just fly through it here in closing. The evidence, first and foremost, one of them is found in Ezekiel 36, 27. Before the Holy Spirit comes, God prophesied what the experience of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life would mean. And he said this, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The first evidence that we experience through the Holy Spirit's presence in our life is obedience to God's commands. When you are under the power of sin and under sin's penalty, you and I... Paul talks about to the church in Galatia, he also talks about the church in Rome, are hindered in our ability to obey and to live out obedience to God the Father. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, now we are enabled to ultimately walk in obedience because it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. The Spirit of Christ indwells us and so we're able to walk in obedience and so you, if you are in Christ if you are sealed with the holy spirit are now enabled to walk in obedience will you walk in perfect obedience there will be times where we struggle with sin and temptation still exists but there will be this evidence you'll have this life where you're like i can i can obey what god commands because I'm not trying to earn his favor. I'm not trying to earn his blessing because he's made me this new creation. The second evidence that Jesus talks about in greater detail is our understanding of God's word. That we begin to understand God's word and, and it actually brings life and help to us. Jesus would say in John sixteen thirteen, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I love the testimonies that I hear of people who, once they have been saved, they they say, you know, I used to read the Bible and and it just didn't make sense to me, but then. I was saved, and, and the words became life and help, and, and, and they became a, a joy to me. The Spirit's presence in your life takes the words of Christ, and it makes them alive to us. This book, the Word of God, becomes something that ministers to our spirit. I can't go into this passage, but it's there in your notes, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Paul writes about how the world cannot understand the things of God because it does not have the Spirit of God, but he says in verse 16, but we have the mind of Christ, the Spirit of the Lord dwells in us, and so the Word becomes alive to to us. I'm not saying that if you have the Holy Spirit residing in you, that you're gonna be able to understand perfectly everything the Word of God says without help, without instruction. Do you know why I can say that? Because when we were looking at 1 Timothy, it says that God gives to the church pastors and teachers and others who are called to instruct us in the word of God. We need each other's help in these things. But the word of God comes alive, and Jesus even says that as you go about the way, the Spirit will bring to your mind those things that I have taught you to help you. I love that promise of Jesus when he says, the Spirit will bring to your mind those things I've taught you to help you. But there's a caveat to that statement. The caveat to Jesus' statement that the Spirit will bring to mind the things that I've taught you implies that you first know the things that he taught you. Are, you. are you tracking with me? The Spirit isn't gonna all of a sudden bring to your mind a, a verse from the Gospel of John that you've never read. <laughs> That's not how it works. As we study the Word, the Spirit then is able to take the Word and minister to our souls. But then the last evidence that the Holy Spirit enables us to see is fruits of righteousness. I could have said the fruit of the Spirit, but I'm just gonna say the fruits of righteousness. This is a whole sermon in itself. I talked a little about it last week, but in Galatians chapter five, in Galatians chapter five, Paul lays out in great detail how the Spirit ultimately comes alongside of us and enables us to demonstrate not just obedience to God's Word, but actually behavior and conduct that is consistent with the Spirit's presence. You know, I I can say this because I watched it for the last three years, and he'd be totally embarrassed for me to, to say this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. As we were constructing this campus, Dean Schumacher, a brother in the Lord who's put his faith and trust in Christ, chosen by the Father and redeemed, I got to watch the Spirit work in his life. And the way I got to watch the Spirit work in his life was the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. All words that describe the typical construction worker. <laughs> why do we laugh? <laughs> because that's not what you typically think. And yet it can describe the typical construction worker. You know why? Because I watched as a man who worked in that field demonstrated those things every single day. Now, not perfectly and I know that he would admit that, but I watched people, very rough, not gentle, not displaying self-control at times, do things even on this construction site, and then I watched as my brother responded, not in the flesh, but in a way that was contradictory to what a typical instruction person would do. Why was Dean able to do that? Because he's better than the rest? No, because he was a man who was filled with the Spirit. And I saw evidence in that life. But it's not just Dean. I can look out here at this church, and I can see that in so many of you. I've seen times when you've been put in situations and and how instead of the works of the flesh coming out, the fruit and the evidence of the Spirit's righteousness in you. You putting on display before you get to heaven what it looks like to live as God's people now. Every time that happens, that is the first deposit of your future inheritance. I can't imagine the day what it's going to look like when we all, in Jesus Christ, live and engage one another in that way. That's our glorification. But until that day comes, the great hope that we have and the great help that we have is that until it comes, we have been enabled by the Spirit to begin to experience evidence of that even now. How great, how kind, how awesome is our God that he would choose us who don't deserve it to be in his family, that he would die and sacrifice his life to redeem us out of slavery and set us free from sin's power and then come to us and implant his very spirit to indwell us until the day of our glorification comes so that even now, in a world that's still broken, we can experience the blessings of that inheritance. That's why Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, you are so great and glorious in all your ways. They are literally too great for us to enumerate. But Lord at least in this passage we can begin to get a glimpse of it and so as your people may our hearts be overwhelmed as we think not upon ourselves right now but think upon you and how for the praise and the glory of your name you have blessed us with spiritual blessings so that as your people now we know that we are adopted by you a father who loves us redeemed by you through the work of your son and sealed, and secured, and enabled to experience the fruit of the inheritance of your choosing of us, even in this lifetime. Lord, blessed be your name, both now and forever, and all God's people said, amen. Amen.